You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Two-thirds of patients and physicians believe it is important to have a preventive health exam every year. What does this cost, and is it necessary? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ativ Marotra. Dr. Marotra is an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and a policy analyst at RAND. He is board certified in both internal medicine and pediatrics. His research is focused on the measurement and reporting of healthcare quality and efficiency, pay for performance incentives, and the organization of physician groups. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. Dr. Marocha, how many people get these preventive exams every year? We looked at both what we term preventive uh, health examinations and preventive gynecological examinations. And though that division could be a little artificial, but in total across the two, we found around 63 million U.S. adults. So about a third of the uh, population is getting one or two, uh, one of these exams each year. 63 million people. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed it was that high. So this is what most people would call a physical, right? Exactly. I think the terminology, at least among my my colleagues and I, is that did the patient get a physical? That's the terminology that's most often used. We try to be a little bit more precise here. But I don't think many of my colleagues know what a preventive health examination is. Or a P-H-E. Exactly. We use even an acronym, which makes it worse. Right. So these are healthy people that are just going in for a quote-unquote checkup. Yes, except for the question of whether it's generally healthy. I think that's actually a question mark about who should be coming in for these physicals, even if they are necessary. Okay. So does the likelihood of getting one of these exams depend on where you live? Yeah, I think that's one of the surprising findings we had in our study is that we looked at across the country who was getting these examinations and what patient factors predicted they would the receipt of one of these visits. And so, not surprisingly, the uninsured are much less likely to get a physical exam I think, or a physical. I think that's not surprising. But what we did find was that if you looked across regions of the country, adults in the Northeast were 60% more likely to get one of these visits than an equivalent adult on the West Coast. And then obviously the question is why. From our own data, we can't answer that question accurately. There are other surveys that have been done about from physicians how often they encourage their patients to come in for an annual visit. And physicians, at least in, in the Boston area, were much more likely to encourage the patients to come in annually. So my presumption would be, or, uh, that would be that it's a difference in practice style, that physicians in the Northeast are just more likely to encourage their patients to come in. Does it matter what, what kind of doctor you see if you're going to family practice versus internal medicine? Does that make a difference? That actually is, I won't go into all the details why. We can't answer that specific question in terms of who your physician is and whether your likelihood of being encouraged for this such a visit. Just to give you briefly, it's hard to assign a primary care physician to everybody. Now, you recently did publish a wonderful paper in the Archives of Internal Medicine about the value of these preventive health exams or physicals. Tell us what you found. Yeah, so I think the reason I got interested in this question is, is that as a primary care physician, I was spending a lot of time with my patients on with annual physicals. And I was doing what I was trained to do, which is to encourage all my patients to come in every year. Yet I knew that the literature out there on this topic was questioned whether this was necessary. So what we did in our study was to go out there and try to really see the scope of the issue and how much time, how much resources were being spent on physicals and what was happening in these visits. That surprisingly hadn't been really done comprehensively. What we found, I think we mentioned a little earlier, is that 63 million adults are having either a preventive health examination or a preventive gynecological examination. 
some people call the latter an annual gyne exam, at a cost of about $7.8 billion. And just to, what does that mean? It's about as much money as we spend on all breast cancer care in the U.S. And that's billion with a B. With a B. And then, you know, those are impressive enough numbers, but I think that we're also finding, I think, importantly, that physicians are spending a lot of time with these visits. I think that my own experience as a primary care physician reflects what other primary care physicians were doing are doing in the sense that for at least internists and family practitioners, they're spending you know, 10 to 15% of their visits on these preventive uh, exams. And I think even maybe for me it was more surprising was that OBGYNs were spending almost 25% of their time on these types of visits. So it's a significant fraction of our time. And I think the reason those findings are particularly striking is then you go back and say, okay, where are the guidelines? Where are the evidence-based statements saying that these annual examinations are necessary? And what you find is no guidelines, no statements saying that these are necessary, and if anything, more randomized controlled trials finding that these types of examinations have not led to any improvement in morbidity and mortality. And those are almost 30 years old. Huh. So we're spending $7.5 billion and we're not really sure what we're getting? I think that that's the major issue. I mean, and I guess reflects to, again, my own experience. It's not clear at this time what the value is. And that's, again, this isn't my work that questions the value of it. Rather, it's things that have been done over the last 30 years. So what did you look at in your work that was published? First, we described who's getting these examinations and the cost. Then we raised the question of what is actually happening in these visits, because there's no guidelines out there. So what I was providing in a physical is very different than another physician provides in a physical, because we're all doing it what we based on our own training and our I think what makes sense to us, and maybe a little bit influenced by what the health plans dictate uh, needs for reimbursement. And so not surprisingly, with the lack of guidelines, there's a lot of variation in what physicians do. I think maybe where that's most notable is in the area of testing. So obviously, there's preventive services that are critically important for patients, but then there's also a large amount of debate about certain tests, which has sometimes been termed annual blood work. It's usually a CBC or an electrolyte panel, urinalysis, maybe an EKG, and otherwise asymptomatic people, otherwise patients who don't have any symptoms. And we find that in total, almost a third of the visits have one or more of these tests done at a cost of $350 million. And there's a number of papers in the literature that argue that this type of testing in asymptomatic patients is unnecessary and actually might be potentially harmful. So really, the fact that we're seeing such variation in, you know, a third of the visits are having, uh, there is this kind of testing, and two-thirds of the visits there isn't this testing. It's kind of an interesting finding. If you're just joining the discussion, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is board-certified internist, pediatrician, and epidemiologist Dr. Ativ Marotra. We're discussing the value, or expense, I should say, of preventive health exams. Is it possible, Dr. Marotra, to look at doing these exams, or at least the blood work and the lab part of it, at just regular urgent care kind of appointments? I think this is a really important point. As is well documented, the rates of a lot of our preventive services are uh, in the U.S. population is low. In other words, the percentage of women who are eligible, who should be receiving a mammogram, who actually receive one is too low. So people have been arguing that we should try to use other types of appointments as an opportunity to push those preventive services. And the American Academy of Family Practitioners and others 
have been pushing the idea of take a minute for prevention, the idea that at the end of an appointment, say for an ankle sprain, you take a minute, quickly review the preventive care services the patient needs, and take that opportunity while the patient is in front of you to deliver those preventive services. Where our study can help in that is that people have argued back and forth about how often that is happening. What we try to do is say, well, what how often is that happening? And we looked at eight preventive services, four of them testing and four of them counseling services. When we mean the testing services, mammograms, pap smears, cholesterol screening, and uh, counseling services, smoking cessation, diet, nutrition, those kind of services. And we looked across all the appointments in the United States in which those services were being provided. And we tried to measure what fraction of those were preventive health examinations or physicals. In other words, what fraction of the delivery of those preventive services was happening at physicals? And surprisingly, it was only 20%. So in other words, four-fifths or 80% of those preventive services are delivered outside the physical. And so people have gone back and forth about this idea, oh, we should have you know, more preventive services delivered outside the physical. We don't need the physical. Well, I guess what our study can sort of document is that in some sense, that's already happening. There are important exceptions, in particular with pap smears. Pap smears, not surprisingly, the vast majority are happening at physicals. It's very difficult at the end of an ankle sprain to tell a woman, oh, let's get a pap smear. That just isn't feasible. But for many other preventive services, that is much more feasible. Okay. So, so given your results, what should we do? What I was hoping to do here is, again, I guess my interest in this paper was born from frustration, which was that, gosh, I'm spending a lot of time on something and I, you know, now we've documented a lot of money and a lot of my other colleagues are spending a lot of time on this. There's no guidance. There's nothing out there from the American College of Physicians, the OBGYN, the AMA, the CDC saying, should we be doing this? How often should I be recommending my patients to come in and what should I be doing at these visits or should I be having them at all? Really what I've hoped is that we as a physician community can come together and come to some consensus about this as opposed to each of us trying to decide this on our own. And that's really my goal. In the interim, you know, my hope is is that patients hear this message and have a conversation with their doctor about how often they need a physical. Again, it's now common lore that a patient needs to have a physical every year. And I think for some patients that's probably helpful, but for many patients, you know, I was seeing some patients every couple months for diabetes as follow-up of their chronic illness. All their preventive services were up to date. It was unclear to me, and it still remains unclear to me, whether that type of patient really needs to have an additional appointment for a physical if everything is up to date. And so I'm hoping that our study can prompt that conversation and maybe think, well, maybe that patient shouldn't have a physical. So that really seems to be the key word is additional, that if you're already seeing them for other things, does it make sense to bring them in an extra time for the quote-unquote routine physical? But I would expect if you're not seeing them for other things, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a perfect example as a patient. I never go to the doctor. I'm not sick. I don't have any illnesses. I'm not on meds that, you know, it's important for me to show up every once in a while to get my pap smear. Otherwise, they'd never see me. No, I think that's very much the case. So, and then I guess the the two parts uh, that I wanted to respond to that. The first is, the question has always come up, how often are, are these patients only coming in for the physical? Are they like you? Or are they, have they already been seen during the year? And one thing we did find is that 80% of the patients who came in for a physical had already been seen in the previous 12 months for some other reason. So I guess in that way, you're the exception as opposed to the rule. The second point is, so you take a very healthy person, let's say, who's in their 20s or 30s or 40s. They're up to date with their preventive services. How often should they be coming in? Now, 
what we find in our studies, we sort of do some back-of-the-envelope calculations, and that it really isn't feasible or practical for every patient of a primary care physician to come in every year. We find that if a person was do, if a primary care doctor was doing that, every one of their patients came in, they would be spending almost half their time just devoted to physicals. And that means they wouldn't have any time to do all the other stuff that they need to do. But we don't know. Is it Should it be every three years, every five years? Should it vary by age? Again, I think these are very important questions that, unfortunately, we have little to guide us as uh, physicians in that area. We've been talking to Dr. Ativ Marotra from Pittsburgh and discussing his research into physical examinations. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.